I appreciate the opportunity this morning to get to fill in uh, for Brother Randy. At, at the same time, I'm kind of disappointed because I wanted to listen to somebody else for a change. Uh, Marsha and I have been going to other congregations just lately. Uh, it seems like it's one of those things when it rains, it pours, uh, because we've been gone a lot lately. I uh, kind of joked to a few people when we came in this morning that I thought we ought to get here early so we could introduce ourselves. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not going to get any better because I'll be gone the next three weeks uh, if things uh, continue as they are. But we are glad to be here this morning. Uh, you know, oftentimes we get in the habit of, of looking at things in one way, <clears throat> which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but sometimes it's instructive to turn things around and look at them from exactly the opposite direction. Uh, when I worked in a machine shop uh, several years ago now, uh, but we occasionally would build special purpose machines. Somebody would come up and say, I want a machine that will do this. Uh, and we would build the thing. If it was really, really complicated and required uh, computer programming and things like that, that part of it we'd have to send out. Uh, but we did a lot of the work ourselves. And sometimes when you got everything put together, it didn't work. And you'd have to start going through the system to try to find out why. What is wrong? Why won't it work? And sometimes you'd start at the beginning and you'd go all the way through to the end of the process and you still don't know why it won't work. And one of the things that was helpful to me a lot of the time was to start at the back and work toward the front. And sometimes when I went through it the right way and couldn't find the answer, when I went through it the wrong way, I could. You know, if something would, uh, would occur to you, something would, uh, would appear that would say, okay, that's what the problem is. And it's helpful to do that sometimes. When you think about the question that the uh, Philippian jailer asked there in Acts chapter 16, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we look at the answer to that question a lot, and rightly so. But I think it's instructive for us occasionally to turn that question around and look at it in the other direction. In other words, what must I do to be lost? Because the answers are not the same. You know, one of the things that will cause us a problem is a failure to assemble with the saints. Over in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 25, uh, the Hebrew writer says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I, I've discussed this with people uh, on several different occasions. And one of the things that I have found to be a problem is when they read the word assembling, they read it as assembly. And I've had people tell me, well, the assembly, the worship assembly is our Sunday morning worship service. And that's the only one I'm not supposed to forsake. Any other time I can be gone and it's not a problem. And I say it's not assembly with a Y, it's assembling with an I-N-G. And they say, what's your point? And I'll say, when does the church assemble? Well, here we assemble at 9.30 on Sunday morning for Bible study. We assemble at 10.30 for worship. And we'll assemble again, uh, the Lord willing, this afternoon at 5.30 for worship again. 
and we assemble on Wednesday evening at seven o'clock for Bible study. The church assembles at all of those times. So the church is assembling at those times. So it's not just a matter of, well, I have to be there for the, the worship service on Sunday morning. It's a matter of, I need to be together with the saints whenever they assemble together. Assembling. Now, it is important for us to note that he says not forsaking. To forsake means you could be here and you just chose not to be. Well, yeah, I could be there, but I had a rough week, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Wednesday night off, or, you know, whatever the reason may be. You could be here and just chose not to be. There are some people who, due to reasons of health, due to reasons of age, and for a variety of other reasons, are not able to assemble at certain times. And if you can't do it, God doesn't expect you to. God does not expect you to do what you cannot do but he does expect you to do what you can. And so when you think about assembling with the saints, we have a, a requirement. Again, as the Hebrew writer says, not forsaking, or forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Some were doing it. And he goes on beginning in verse 26 talking about willful sin. And I don't think that those two are, are, are that close together in that context by accident. And one of the things that, that is, is strange, I, I kind of understand it in a way, but in a way I don't. Oftentimes when people are having problems in their life, what's one of the first things they do? They quit assembling with the saints. I've had a, a, a serious illness with one of my family members, or I've had a death in the family, or some other kind of an emergency. And I, again, I'm not talking about times when they can't be here for one of those reasons. I'm talking about they've just had a problem of some kind and they choose not to be here. When you have problems in your life, this is where you need to be. This is the place you ought to be. One of the reasons that God set the church up the way he did, the local congregations, is so that we have a support group. I've heard television evangelists who would say, you know, you don't have to trouble yourself to leave your own house and go out to a church building and assemble with people there. You know, it's sometimes it's raining, sometimes it's snowing, sometimes it's too hot. You know, don't inconvenience yourself like that. Just stay at home and just watch me on your TV and, oh, by the way, send me your money. You know, they'll, they'll tell you that. I saw one who was talking about, well, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, just put your hand on top of the television and repeat this prayer after me. They're telling you to stay home, watch them, and send them your money. God didn't set things up that way. God set things up the way he did with local congregations for a reason. And part of that reason is, is so that we can be there to support one another. Again, when you look at what uh, the Hebrew writer says, verse 24 there in Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You're supposed to stir me up so that I will love more, and I'm talking about love in the biblical sense of the word agape, which is wishing for others the highest possible good and working to bring that good about when you can, not in the warm feeling of affection uh, sense of the word. 
but you're supposed to stir me up to love others the way I should and to do the good works that I ought to be doing. And then I'm supposed to do the same thing for you. But you can't do it if you're not here. I miss out on the stirring up that you could be doing, and you're missing out on the stirring up that I could be doing. We need to be together so that we can help each other. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. How many times have you heard somebody say that? It's not true. When it comes to assembling with the saints, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. As a matter of fact, it does exactly the opposite. Look over in Hebrews chapter 2. This is one of my uh, favorite passages as far as the things that can happen uh, to Christians if they're not paying attention. In the first part of Hebrews chapter 2, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And I always picture this in my mind when I'm thinking about that. He says we're drifting away. Now, if you're one of those people that likes to fish, sometimes you go out on the lake. And maybe you want to tie up at the bank for a, a period of time to eat lunch or for whatever. And you pull into the bank, you get out of the boat, and you're doing whatever it is you're there for, and you forgot to tie up the boat. And I'm not going to say who I know this happened to, um, but it wasn't me. But you're sitting there, you're not paying attention, and you look up, the wind's been blowing, and now all of a sudden your boat's 15, 20 yards offshore. You know, how are you going to get your boat back? You're going to get wet if you get it back. It drifted away. Why? Because you weren't paying attention. And that's what happens. When we start to miss the assembling of ourselves together, we start to not pay attention. We start to drift. Nobody that's been a faithful Christian gets up one morning and says, okay, I've decided I have lived for God for so many years and I'm going to quit. Today, starting today, this morning, I'm going to live for the devil for the rest of my life. I've just decided to quit. Nobody does that. What happens? We start to fail to assemble once or twice or three times and then it gets where it doesn't bother us anymore and then all of a sudden we're not there at all. We're off doing other things, thinking about other things, and we're not thinking about God anymore. We drift. And it's a progressive kind of thing. It's one of those things that happens and it continues to happen and it feeds on itself. We need to be here. We need to be here to uh, receive edification, encouragement from other Christians, and hear God's word preached. If you don't get your toes stepped on once or twice a day, you know, you, you forget all about it. We need to be here when we can, because absence does not make the heart grow fonder. You know, Peter, uh, Peter's one of those kind of people. He did so much good, oftentimes did a lot of bad at the same time. But when you read Peter's epistles, they are really inspiring. He is writing to some people who are undergoing a lot of persecution. They need a lot of help. They need a lot of encouragement. And he says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth 
Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent or in his physical body to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He says, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you. I'm going to stir you up by reminding you. And even after I'm dead, I'm going to make sure that I'm reminding you again. He's going to make sure you get reminded of these things. One of the things that I have found to be the case is I, I oftentimes thought when I first started preaching that you have things that people have heard a hundred times. They've heard it, they've heard it, they've heard it. And if you get up and start to preach on that, they're going to say, not again. We have heard this so many times. We could probably sit here and quote the whole sermon from front to back without any effort at all. But you go ahead and you do it anyway. You know, I haven't talked about basics in a while, so I'm going to talk about basics. And you go ahead and you do it. And almost every time that's happened, somebody has said something to me along the lines of, I've never heard that before. And you think, how can you not have heard that? You know, people preach about this all the time. Well, sometimes they don't. We assume that this has been preached on over and over and over again, so everybody's heard it, so we don't do it. And after a while, nobody's preaching on it anymore. People haven't heard it anymore. You need to preach on basic things to tell people about things that maybe they haven't heard. But people would tell me, I've never heard that before. Or they'd say, well, I've never heard it that way before. And sometimes looking at things from another perspective can be helpful. But we need to be reminded about things on a continual basis. And we, we assemble for the purpose of learning and for the purpose of edification. So the first thing that we can do, the first answer to the question, what must I do to be lost, is fail to assemble with the saints. And the second one, the second answer is, I can fail to grow. Growth is something that we as Christians must do. You know, oftentimes I think people seem to have the idea that once you've heard the gospel preached, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you, you believe that you need to be baptized to have your sins washed away, and you submit to baptism to have your sins washed away, that that's the end of the process. Well, it's not. It's the end of one process, but that's only the first step. Now, think about it this way. Christianity is not a point. It's a line. It's something that's ongoing. Christianity is something that, that goes on from the time you obey the gospel till the day you die. It's constant. It's not just done and then forgotten. We have to continue to do it. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I love to study 1 and 2 Corinthians. These are people, if, they had, if there's a problem that you could have, the church of Corinth had it. And so it's really instructive for us to look at 1 and 2 Corinthians to learn how to deal with problems that we're going to have. And one of the things he says, beginning in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. 
For where there are, there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You're thinking in a carnal, in an earthly way. You're not thinking spiritually. He says, there's a lot of things that I would love to tell you, and I can't do it. Why can't I? Because you wouldn't understand it. Why wouldn't you understand it? Because you've not grown as a Christian should. You ought to be able to go past those things, to learn other things. Growth is something that is necessary for the Christian. And again, you go back over into the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer is talking about Jesus and his priesthood, being a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says that there is a lot I would like to say about this. Hebrew 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. He says, I would love to tell you more about this, but I can't do it. And the reason I can't do it is because your knowledge level is not high enough yet. He said, you've become dull of hearing. You were there once, but you're not there now. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, he's not saying that all of us have to be at the same knowledge level. It doesn't work that way. Again, Christianity is a line. It's not a point. And some people start their journey as a Christian at one place. Some start at another. And you have to learn things. You have to build on a, a foundation. It's like any other thing that you try to learn. You have to start with basics and then you build up from there. Some people learn at a different rate than others do. Some people have, have better uh, advantages than some do. So you learn at different rates. He's not saying everybody has to know the same things, but he does say that you have to be improving. That you have to start at the basics and then learn. A lot of people don't want to evangelize. A lot of people don't want to talk to other people about being a Christian. A lot of people don't want to talk about the organization of the church or, God, or how God requires that we worship or things like that. Why don't they want to talk about it? The answer is almost always, I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel that I know enough. Well, you only have to know as much as, you, as you're willing to teach, but you have to improve on that all the time. And if you don't know enough, learn it. Learn more. Then you can teach that, and then you learn some more. And I'll tell you one thing. I found this to be the case. I had heard this a lot, and I just really didn't understand it until it happened to me. Sometimes you learn more by teaching than you do by sitting and listening to somebody else teach. Uh, there was a guy, this has been several years ago, but a, a, a fella asked me, he said, do you believe that this guy, somebody had written a book saying that they knew when the end of time was going to be, they had figured out the code and all this, and we're probably about due for somebody else to do that. It happens every so many years. But he said, do you think this guy knows what he's talking about? And I said, of course not. 
He said, yeah, I don't think anybody knows when the rapture is going to be. And I said, well, for the first thing, there is no such thing as a rapture. And he said, what? I said, there is no such thing as the rapture. Now, the rapture in a lot, the minds of a lot of people is that all of a sudden, all of those that are saved are just going to go poof, disappear. And it's only the unrighteous that are going to be left on earth, and they're going to go through a, a period of tribulation. And then you're going to have the thousand-year reign on earth, and there's nothing in the Bible about any of that. And I was trying to explain that to him, but there was a lot about it I didn't know. And he would ask me questions, and I couldn't answer them. And I'd say, give me a day or two, I'll go home, I'll ask some people, I'll study up on it, and then I'll come back and we'll talk about it again. And we did that for a month. And I learned more about what the Bible has to say about the end of time and what some people falsely say has to do with the end of time than I learned anywhere else. Because I was trying to teach it to somebody else. And he would ask me questions I couldn't answer. You need to learn so that you can teach other people. Lack of growth is condemned. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. They've gone backwards. If you leave it, you lose it. I mean, everybody here probably at one time or another has developed a skill of some kind. Whether you're playing a musical instrument or you're playing a sport or something like that. And you get to a certain level, a certain skill level, but then you don't do it for a while. And then you go back and try to do it again. Are you as good as you used to be? No, you're not. Because you left it. And it's the same way with biblical knowledge. If you leave it, you're going to lose it. Stay with the Bible, stay in the Bible, and you'll learn the things that God requires you to do. We need to grow. And if we don't grow, then we're going to go backwards. And another thing that we can do that will cause us to be lost is fail to follow through. You know, there is a, a, a comment that's made in the Old Testament that is one of the saddest things, at least to me, that you'll read in scriptures anywhere. And that's found over in 1 Kings chapter 11. King Solomon, when he was asked by God, what do you want? Solomon has become the king, and God asks him, what do you want? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. He says, I'm like a, a, a little boy. This is found back in 1 Kings chapter 3. He says, I'm like a little boy. I don't know how to go in or come out, and, and I am now in charge of this great people. I need an understanding heart so that I can lead the people. And God said, because you asked for wisdom so you could properly lead the people, I'm going to give you what you asked for. He said, you didn't ask for a long life, but I'm going to give you that too. You didn't ask for riches, but I'm going to give you that too. Because you asked for wisdom. But when you get over into 1 Kings chapter 11, it says, but King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. 
And it says later, verse 4, For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 6, and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Wisest man the world has ever seen. And he let his wives lead him astray. Is there anything sadder than that? Solomon started out really, really well. But he ended as a miserable failure. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, my, my personal opinion, and that's what this is, you know, and it's worth exactly what you paid for it. My personal opinion is, Scripture does not tell us this, but based on the things that you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think Solomon finally, at the end of his life, realized the error of his ways. The book of Ecclesiastes could not have been written by a young man. It was written by an old man who had done about all there was to do in life. And what was his conclusion? Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole of man. This is man's all. So I like to think that he at least ended well finally. But again, as I said, that's my opinion. But he failed to follow through. The young prophet, 1 Kings chapter 13. I think we talked about this back a, a few months ago. But you have a young prophet who is told by God to go into the, the kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, to go there and to cry out against the altar. He goes by himself into enemy territory and he tells them, you're doing wrong. The king calls for his arrest. The king's arm is withered and the king asks him, you know, pray to God that my arm will be restored. This man was compassionate enough that he did it. And finally, he's coming back home He's done what God told him to do, but God told him, when you come back, don't come back the same way you went. Don't eat or drink anything while you're there. And an older prophet came and lied to him, said an angel came and told me to get you, bring you back to my house so you can eat and drink. And he did it. And he was told, you're, you're not going to go back to the tomb of your fathers. A lion met him on the way and killed him. He did almost everything God told him to do, but he failed to follow through. There at the end, finally, when he thought everything was fine, he failed to follow through. We can't ever say, it's done. I've done enough. I'm fine. I can rest on my laurels. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. That moment comes when your life's over. But until then, you need to stay aware and keep doing what God requires us to do. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul said, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We can't lose heart at the end. And the last thing that I want to talk about this morning, the last answer to the question, what must I do to be lost, is found over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 8, Paul says that the Lord is going to return. He says he's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He says he's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on people who don't know God. And what he's talking about when he talks about knowing God is he talks about knowing him in the sense of doing what he says, not just accepting the fact that God exists. 
But if you don't know God and you don't obey the gospel, then you're lost. So what's the answer to the question, what must I do to be lost? Fail to assemble with the saints. Number two, fail to grow as a Christian. Number three, fail to follow through in my Christian life. And finally, number four, fail to obey the gospel. In other words, if you want the short answer, what must I do to be lost? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You don't have to do anything. Just sit back and wait for your life to be over or wait for the Lord to come back and be lost. Being saved requires us to do things. Being lost doesn't. It may be that there's someone here this morning that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you have the opportunity this morning to come forward confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to go to God in prayer. Confess your sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. If your sin is public in nature, then your repentance should be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or it could be that there's someone here that needs to come forward and ask for the prayers of those saints that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, we ask that you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.